Welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere, where CEOs, leaders, and experts at building teams, companies, organizations, and amazing cultures share how to lead from anywhere in the world. I'm your co-host on the East Coast, Judy Bianco Mathis. And I'm your co-host on the West Coast, Mitch Simon. And we invite you to join us to Team Anywhere. Perhaps the most meaningful gift you can give your employees today is helping them forge connections in a lonely world. As a leader, your primary purpose is to build connection, build meaning, and build community. On today's podcast, we learn how to use the power of improv and play to forge those connections in a lonely world with our guests, Dr. Jeff Katzman and Dan O'Connor, the authors of two powerful transformational leadership books, Life Unscripted and Ensemble, both books that will challenge you to be more present, more connected, and have more fun. Hello and welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere. I am your co-host on the West Coast, Mitch Simon, and on the East Coast, our amazing co-host, Dr. Virginia Bianco Mathis. I think I read that really really fast today. I'm just so excited, Jenny. How are you today, Jenny? Yeah, you did. Great. Well, I'm very excited today because today on the podcast, we have two, two incredible humans, Dr. Jeff Katzman and Dan O'Connor, authors of this book. Love this book. Ensemble, using the power of improv and play to forge connections in a lonely world. Jeff is a professor of psychiatry at the University of New Mexico, a lecturer at the Yale University of Psychology, and has applied improvisational theater with hospital teams, psychiatric trainees, psychotherapists, and patients. Dan is an actor, improviser, writer, and director working in television and stage throughout the world. Dan is also the founder of Impro Theater and co-founded Bats Improv in San Francisco and Los Angeles Theater Sports. You guys have done everything. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks Thanks for having us. Very, very excited. Very excited. So we like to open up with the question um, because I think it's it's March as as we are recording this. Three years ago, it all came down. What has surprised you the most about yourselves over the last three years as the world shifted? Let's go with Dan first. Okay. What has surprised me the most is, number one, how uh, my wife and I uh, were together 24-7 and really enjoyed each other's company. And, And that was terrific. The year we got married, which is now... 20 years ago, we, we were working in Las Vegas and we were together 24-7 and got married in the middle of it. So it was very much like that. Um, and uh, just the amount of patience and creativity that came with being, you know, sequestered, it was actually, I mean, obviously unpleasant in a lot of ways, but very pleasant for us and very uh, inspiring. Great, Dan. Thanks so much. And Jeffrey? Yeah, I guess... Uh... A, a few things that, you know, at, at first I was working some 12 hour days on, on zoom, just clicking, clicking the button from meeting to meeting with no steps in between, uh, that I was, I was used to. And it was a, a fairly isolating experience really. And so I had to, um, figure out with, with my wife and our family, what kind of, kind of how to, 
build out from there. And ultimately, uh, when we dropped my son off at college in Boston, my wife and I felt like it was August of 2020 before vaccines. And But we felt like we had survived something on this airplane and we wound up buying a house. Our kids are all on the East Coast and getting a job back there and really changing life around quite a bit. So, so yeah, I, my life is very different. I was going to say that the... Uh... The professional side of things also that our theater company immediately went to online classes and online shows within a week of the first lockdown, which was kind of amazing to watch an entire institution pivot in seven days. And the creativity that that brought on with people inventing shows that they could do over Zoom, finding ways to use Zoom and use Zoom backgrounds and a lot of shows that in, that involved, you know, time zones from Auckland to Oslo. So people doing shows in the middle of the night for them. Um, I ended up teaching a class in Japan every Thursday night, Friday morning for them. So there was a lot of there was a lot of things that happened improvisationally. Yeah, it was. I mean, for me personally, it was the ability to now. I, I you know, everybody knows that the best classes, at least on the West Coast, are in L.A. Of course, outside of San Diego. But um, but I was actually now, now able to take classes in Los Angeles at some of the best improv theaters that was not available to me before. All right. So I want to hear your stories of how you two met. So if I could have you open up and just kind of talk about how you met um, and how you decided to, we need to write books together. Like, what's that all about? I'll, uh, I could start us off. Long ago, I was a intern at a harbor ucla Har harbor general hospital and living in in hermosa beach nearby and and went to a show at second city second city had just opened the mayfair theater on the west coast in santa monica and uh, they announced this training program and i my friend said to me i dare you to try out and and so the next day i did there were a couple hundred people maybe in a line and then we did a couple you know, hitchhiker games. And then the next day I got a phone call, you know, people still called you on the phone then. And they said, you're in. And I think every single person was in, is what I think. Um, but I felt so I started this class and there were 10 of us, I think eight or 10 in our class. We really formed a, a real community, which is much of what our, our book talks about. But one day someone came in with this flyer that they were teaching a weekend workshop at Los Angeles theater sports. So we all were a good number of us went and um, and met Dan, who uh, who uh, with Ellen was teaching the class the class that weekend. And, yeah, so that that's where we first met. Where we first met, and I became a a poor improviser member of LA Theater Sports on the C team, but actually started thinking wildly about the applications of improv uh, to psychotherapy, to learning how to be a therapist, to for doctors learning to talk to their patients. Um, and Dan and I started conversations about that. That's great. And then, so Jeff, oh, go ahead, go ahead, Dan. Jeff, your mic is a little, a little quiet. Just FYI, the the thing that was, the thing that got us on the road to to writing books together was Jeff was a student, like he said way back when, but he was also a resident, and he was also a resident uh, at UCLA, and. When he started telling me stories about applying uh, some of the games we were doing in theater sports, um, it was intriguing. And by that point, I had been doing applied improv 
uh, up in San Francisco, actually, before I even moved to, to L.A., before the term applied improv, I think, was even coined. Dan, if I could uh, have you uh, share for, the, for our audience, what, what is applied improv? Because most p- people have never even heard of that term before. So improvisation is usually people think of whose line is it anyway, and maybe their local improv group, what have you. But what applied improvisation is, is taking the skills of improvisation and applying them to work, to relationships, to mental health, using the tools of spontaneity, creativity, team building, presence to to do everything from doctor-patient relationships to, um, you know, third dates. Uh, the idea that... <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. Well, listening, it turns out, is really important. And it's one of the core parts of being a good improviser is being an active listener. And so all the things that we do in improvisation up on the stage in, in theatrical improvisation and, and the skills all the Whose Line people learned and uh, going back uh, to, you know, Viola Spolin and Keith Johnstone, all of those skills we do every day. But we're not trained as civilians in improvisation. And so applied improvisation is taking those skills and using them in everyday life. Thank you for that. Uh, I would love to hear, as a person who teaches uh, others how to be executive coaches, I do tons of role play. What's the difference and similarities between if I set it up as an improv versus setting it up as Not a role much, play? because it's basically the same thing. In fact, in some corporate settings, we don't use the word improv because people think we're going to make them be a tree. And they get nervous about the performance aspect. And one of the first hurdles uh, sometimes that, depending on the culture of the organization that we need to overcome, is explaining to people that these are not performance games. They are engagement exercises. And that, you know, that, that uh, definition uh, sometimes takes someone who is, you know, learning executive performance skills and gets them to relax and understand that this is something that they already do. But improvisation sometimes can terrify people because they think of it being a performance-driven thing and they have to be clever, clever, funny, witty, what have you, when really it's just about getting out of your own way, being more obvious and more present in, in how you relate to other people. And I would add that improvisation, schools of improvisation, really embrace kind of warm-up games, a lot of warm-up games, and, and a lot of playfulness. And so when, when we do consultations to organizations, there's a sense of play and spirit that we bring, and, and, and people begin to interact in those games in radically different ways than they would when seeing each other in the hallway. So we have very defined roles at work. But suddenly, when people are, as I mentioned, hitchhiker, like playing roles in a car and just taking on emotions and everyone's laughing wildly, they're kind of scratching their head saying, I had no idea that this person could be like that. And suddenly see, see each other much more as human beings than as the fixed role. So I think improv really does offer a way um, through executive coaching programs that, that we can start to see each other in uh, more full human Excellent. So I wanted to, I have a million questions. Um, Absolutely, you know, love your book. 
And I really wanted to get to, it's actually the last part of the title of your book. So it's uh, the book again is Ensemble with an exclamation point, using the power of improv and play to forge connections in a lonely world. And I really wanted um, to go to Jeff first. The book is really head on facing a crisis, at least in America, and I'm sure around, around the entire world. The lonely world. What are you seeing, Jeff, in your practice? And what are you seeing in the world? What is what is going on right now that you picked up and made your book so much about interacting and facing and appreciating how lonely people are right now? Yeah, Mitch, thanks so much to talk about. With that, the and, and one interesting thing is that, of course, Dan and I were both lonely writing this book, and we were having a a connection with each other around this book while we were in isolation. So that was an interesting process. But the, the idea of loneliness as an epidemic really began far before COVID. Um, and Dan and I became really like loneliness experts, understanding the literature, reading many books. Vivek Murthy had just written a book called Togetherness. There's a book called Bowling Alone, where there's a tracking of what's going on in, in the U.S. But now we see loneliness, which we really define as one wanting to connect, but not feeling connected. So, so maybe feeling nothing or numb or angry, very different than being alone at a retreat voluntarily and enjoying the experience of being alone. Lonely is a little different and poses real health risks, health risks that mirror smoking 15 cigarettes a day and are associated with autoimmune diseases and cardiac issues and all kinds of medical issues as well as substance use, multiple me uh, mental health issues. So we know that loneliness is, is really a big deal and it's really a big deal also as we age and we get older and uh, yearn for community and our communities just aren't there like they once were. Improv becomes a way for people to find community and that's what I did when I auditioned and then met, met Dan. I think more than wanting to be an improviser, I was looking for a community. Great. Yeah. And you started off this way, that you were starting to do improv kinds of things through Zoom. Again, what is the difference between um, setting up an improv wonderful exercise there versus in person? Well, and I think Jeff would agree with me. I, I think in person is so much better because you're able to see the whole person and yeah, you know, uh, and I really like the Je Jesuit thing of cura personalis, which is care of the whole person. And I think when you're in person, if I'm if I'm teaching class or if Jeff and I are teaching the workshop and there's a circle of 20 people, you can see quite clearly who is engaged and who's not engaged just by the physicality. When you're on Zoom, you have no idea whether people are actually even looking. You know, I could be reading Shakespeare right now and, and nobody would know it. So, so there's a level of engagement, especially with work and corporate stuff, that is, is, is challenging. It's not impossible, and we've, we've done a lot over the last three years, three and a half years. But there is something about being in a relationship to people if I see somebody who is, you know, starting to check out, I'm going to use them in the next piece. My job as an improviser is to inspire my partner. So 
uh, if I see somebody starting to flag engagement, um, making sure they they f feel seen in the room, basically collaborating with them. Uh, so it's it's much easier to do that when you're in proximity. Agreed, and uh, that's why I try, and I'm sure you all have played this out in various ways. A smaller groups on Zoom. Because uh, even they can pay better attention. Yeah, I also I also think though that that there are because again, Team Anywhere is understanding that this world is you know as as Dan was sharing, he's leading classes in Japan, and Dan is in LA. So there are there are ways to utilize improv to build community. I think think Jeff said over over Zoom. You know, I was just wondering. I was just. Yeah, I was just wondering, um, you know, is is there an exercise that you could share with us and for our listeners so they could, you know, instead of talking about uh, implied improv and to actually do implied improv, you know, is there something that you might demonstrate for us, maybe like the interview or something else that you guys really enjoy? Absolutely. Sure. What would you like? What would you like to do? I well, I think. I mean, I heard you guys on the Applied Improv Network doing the interview, and I thought, you know, what's great about your book is you have a lot of examples that really work in a, in a corporate setting built community. I just think that that is perhaps the most powerful improv exercise I've ever uh, witnessed. Yeah, we also, just so, I don't know if it's just for your listeners, we wrote an, another book before this, before COVID, called Life Unscripted. But yeah, this this exercise... There's a Keith Johnstone exercise. My training was from Keith Johnstone, who we recently lost a week and a half ago. He was the sort of core training that that uh, that I did early on, and then passed on to Jeff. Uh, but the he had a game that was called the Bureaucrat, and one of uh, our colleagues, Joe McGinley, sort of repurposed it to be basically the interview, which is a film star game. So in this game, where Jeff and I will play it, I am a film star who is playing his life. As I am I am going to do the biopic for Jeff. But we keep the pronouns that I'm asking him, what was I like when I was however old I'm going to ask him? And he needs to keep his pronouns, you were like this. And even though he's talking about himself, so we'll, we'll just demonstrate a little bit of it. What was I like when I was 18? Uh, when you were 18, you were a scrawny, thin kid trying to gain weight that just wouldn't go on. But you were, um, you were very enthusiastic about things and you liked to organize parties and, and kind of meet various people. But, I, but you were going away to college and and the day you turned 18 was was the first day of college uh, what what was that what was i interested in what did i like when i arrived at college was was there a club i wanted to join what did i want to do uh aside from go to school yes you you played the french horn dan you were a really good french horn player and you had long wanted to be in the stanford band Stanford band was kind of famous. You know, they became even more famous a couple of years after that uh, I was a freshman there. But, but so you ran to the band shack so excited and learned that one cannot play the French horn at the Stanford band because the whole idea was to play as loud as possible. 
and the sound of the French horn goes backwards. It goes backwards. So you have to play mellophone. Okay. Was I at the infamous Cal-Stanford game? You were there. Yes, you were there. You were at Berkeley standing standing um, in the risers, but you were no longer in the band because you had dropped out of the band um, because there were not enough mellophones to go around, and you had you had played a, a street sign, actually, a Stanford street sign that you had found um, in the band for a, a month or two. But, um, but yeah, you were there at that game, and, and you were sure that the rest would change their mind about the, the results of what happened there. Yes. And you were, you were standing there. You wouldn't leave until they changed the score because you, you really felt like you had some power or control over the situation. But you've learned over life that you don't have so much, uh, so much of that. I'm sure I wasn't alone. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll end it there, but just to give you both and, and your listeners a little taste, the, the idea, a number of things happen in that exercise, and, and, and Jeff can talk about this as well. Um, because of the pronoun switch, there tends to be a, a letting go of editing as much. Uh, there's not a conscious, uh, one of the things we talk about in the first book is is our sort of vo uh, inner voice, our buddy, um, that critiques us and evaluates what we're doing from moment to moment. And and one of the ideas is either to make your buddy go away or to be or make it a supportive voice. But in this exercise, one of the many things I noticed about it is that when I do it and I'm playing the role that that Jeff just did, is I am letting go, letting go, letting go, and so much of uh, the benefit of active listening and improvisation is about being in the present and not engaging your inner judge or evaluating or checking out of the moment. There's a great correlation between improvisation and mindfulness because if I'm, if I'm meditating and I start thinking about making dinner, I just go back to the breath, back to the breath, back to the breath. If I'm in a conversation with Jeff and I start drifting away, uh, or thinking about what I'm saying, or just not paying attention to him, I, I uh, will go back to Jeff, back to Jeff, back to Jeff. So uh, our attention spans are very short right now. I think that I think every 14 seconds we we switch off and need to come back, maybe due to phones and that sort of thing. Uh, but Jeff, what do you what do you get out of that exercise? Well, it makes it hard to listen all the time to people, and really. One of the central tenets of, of this idea of, of connection and building our connections is to get curious about another person. Um, and this exercise really does guide that because there's an immediacy of, oh, I'm going to play you in a movie. And so I want to know what you were like. And, and, and then uh, when I'm providing the information, I don't cut it off so much because I know Dan wants the information. He's going to play me in a movie. So I'm a little freer to provide the information. And that really provides a sense of connection. And, and togetherness, really, as opposed to just me telling a story that Dan may or may not be listening to, or vice versa. So, so it really does. Yeah, what I, what I really got from your book was loneliness is caused by having no one to understand me, to listen to me, to know me. And that exercise, which I definitely recommend that you try this exercise at home with your friends and loved ones, because it is it is more, so what you just shared is so powerful. When you do it, it is more powerful. <clears throat> and I think what people are missing is is being heard, being listened to, being acknowledged. 
And that's what improv does or, or um, executive performance skills, whatever you want to call it. I do think that the, the book really describes an ability to be connected in a very lonely world, um, forge connections in a lonely world. It does. And another gift, another gift you gave us in doing that is your analysis of it. That was an incredible addition to really uh, Thanks. Yeah. get it's, into it's the power. It's really interesting. We're, so thank we you have for connections that. like yeah. this. Also, we remember them. So we'll, we'll probably, the four of us, remember this conversation about me kind of dumbfounded at the leaders of the Stanford band, but because there's a connection there. I, I've met people at, on Zoom and been in a, a, just in a breakout room doing this exercise. Someone I didn't, didn't know at all, suddenly we feel like such close friends because I really know something about them. The The caveat to this game uh, that we should say, uh, the caveat is that you do want to do what Dan did, um, pick a time and focus in on that time, like not what were you like when you were four and you were seven, but really try to dive into it. Yeah. But you just also showed that's a very powerful exercise when you do have to use Zoom. You see, so I think you have to become more and more of an expert of, oh, this works really well in a, in a more hybrid virtual versus we're all going to get in a room. You just have to get better at differentiating. Uh, and I, I really, I really believe that. Yes, um, of course. When you see an improv show, you want to see it in person. I believe that these exercises. There is, you know, Keith Johnstone. I've, I've read some of his books as well. Unfortunately, didn't meet him. There's so much depth and knowledge and wisdom inside of these exercises that really have people show up in a big way. When I was reading, I've done improv for eight years, but there's one line. It's on page 115 that I just said, oh my gosh, these guys get it. So like Jeff and Dan, they so get it. And I want you to talk a little bit about this line and tell me how the line applies to watching an improv show, why it's the crux of great improv and how this really applies in meaningful relationships and also in, in um, helping people uncover their loneliness. So you said on page 15, the audience is looking for them to be changed by each other and for something to emerge spontaneous, spontaneously from the ensemble. And I was really struck by the audience is looking for the people on stage to be changed by each other. Tell me about that. Well, John Stone years ago said people go to the theater to watch other people be changed, to watch other people do stuff that either they dream of doing or are too afraid to do. So your job on stage is to be changed by each other because that's what the audience wants to see. You know, good good narrative creates oxytocin in, in the brain. Um, but we, our job on stage is to be changed and off stage, part of how we know we are engaged with someone is are we changed by them? Are we affected by them? Do we see them? And so often uh, people get on stage and, and don't want to be changed. And when I'm teaching beginning improv students, that's, that's part, of the, part of the instruction, which is you are there to be changed. You should be looking for ways to be changed. Uh, and that's, that's how we see the improv manifest is by you being changed by each other. And it's, and it's wonderful. In fact, there's a great Carl Reiner quote, a brilliant mind in panic is a wonderful thing to see. When we see people really being changed, it's ma magical. 
Um, I'm sure Jeff can talk more about that. Yeah, sure, sure. You know, we also spend a good deal of time talking about perspective taking, and, and that's what that idea is also about, because we're living in a world where people are kind of often locked into kind of tribal belief systems. And, and on some level, that's how we belong. We belong to a political party or, or, or however we define ourselves. And so these are our beliefs. Um, and, and actually, this whole idea of if, if, if we're going to heal the world and ourselves, really, it involves um, listening to each other and understanding one another's perspective and being open to being changed by it. Like, oh, yeah, I, I am a little this way. Uh, or, oh, you, oh you, I, I can see what you're meaning. Um, but if we are all locked in our own characters in life, um, I think we're, we're a little bit doomed. Well, gentlemen, it's, it's coming to the end of our half hour. How can people find you, learn more about you, get your books? I don't know if you do seminars or just really uh, get a good understanding of how improv can support them in connecting and creating community. Well, our books are published by North Atlantic Books uh, through Penguin Random House. Uh, so they're available in fine bookstores near you as well as online. There's, a, there's also audio uh, books of both both books, if that's your preference. And both of us have uh, websites. Mine is danoconnor.net, and O'Connor is O-R. And um, for shows in Los Angeles, improtheater.com. Jeff? Yeah, that's, that's all right. And um, Jeff Katzen, MD, is, is, we'll pull up my website, and Dan and, Dan and I are working on a, a joint website that should be up in a couple months. Yes, Oh, that'd be great. That'd be great to see. Great. Well, thank you. Um, thank you so much, Dan. And thank you so much, Jeff, for joining us today. And thank you so much, Ginny, for co-hosting. And thank you to our audience. If this has been meaningful to you and it has been very meaningful to me, please share this podcast with your friends, your colleagues, your family. Tell the improvisers in your life. And with that, we'll see you next time on our next episode of Team Anywhere. <laughs>